Hi everyone, welcome back to the Media Mates podcast. My name's Ralph Tucker. Each week I'll chat to somebody I've met from my career in and around the media industry. All of them have such great stories to tell. I'm not Michael Parkinson or Andrew Denton, but I do enjoy chatting to interesting media people about where they've been, where they're headed next, and everything else in between. My guest today is Sarah Forster from WSFM. Sarah has been working in Sydney media as a radio journalist and newsreader for over a decade with radio stations 2SM, Triple M, 2UE and now WSFM. We chat about starting her media career as a receptionist, what makes a good radio journalist and her fascination with Ann Sanders. Sarah is one of the most thorough and professional people I've worked with, so I really hope you enjoy our chat. Hello, Sarah Forster. Hello, Raf Tucker. How are you? I am a little bit tired, but reasonably well. I still can't get used to the fact that I'm calling you Sarah Forster, having met you as Sarah Crab. I know. Um, I was just talking to someone at work about this this morning, and no one calls me Crabby anymore. And, you know, you knew me in the pre-Forster days, and that was... That was my only name. So, um, yeah, Crab, Forster, I don't know. I, I changed my name because I thought people would still call me Crabby, so I'd hold on to my maiden name, but no one does, so it's all been lost by the wayside. So call me Crabby. Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> now, you're working as the breakfast newsreader for Jonesy and Amanda. Mm-hmm. And that's been a couple of years now. How's it all going? Uh, yeah, it's nearly four years now going really well. They are a hoot to work for, as you would probably expect. Um, I'm about six months back after a year off on maternity leave, so very grateful for their ba- their patience and ARN's patience letting me have that time off and then settle back in. But, yeah, 2.30 alarm, into the office for breakfast and away we go. How do you find that? Because a lot of people struggle with those hours. It's something that can either make you or break you in this radio <laughs> industry and it's it's a rarity for people to last beyond a few years doing that shift. Mm. How do you find it? Um, I think I've done breakfast more than any other shift in the time that I've worked in radio. 2.30 is the most brutal alarm that I've had. When I was on police at 2UE, it was about 4 o'clock in the morning, um, breakfast at Osterio. I can't even remember how early that was, but it wasn't as early as I am now. Um, I think this, the key for me is just don't think about it. And I am a morning person, which most other people in the office find incredibly annoying. You know, the alarm goes off and I'm up straight away. I think that's the way it has to be. And then you just get on with it and just keep going. Are you a napper or are you not a napper? I am a napper at the moment, only because I take my sleep when I can, being mum to a 17-month-old. So usually when he goes off for a nap in the afternoon, that's my cue to put my head on the pillow as well, just in case the night ahead is rough and I can't get enough sleep. Let's go back in the time machine. Where did it all start for you? What was the interest for you to get into media or more specifically radio? Well, when I was growing up, probably from the age of like nine or 10, I think, I wanted to be Ann Sanders. So, you know, I loved watching the news. I'd get the old VHS out, tape the news and... Was that when she was like host of 11am? <laughs> no, she, I think 
I think maybe 11 a.m. days, but at some point she was reading the six o'clock bulletin and yep. Ross Simons as well. So, you know, that was, I was all about watching the news every night with mum and dad. So interesting, you were Channel 7 rather than Channel 9. We were a Channel 7 house. Like, I, I have no memory of Brian Henderson. So that's like, it's like a Ford v. Holden thing. You're I'm either like... Channel 7, Channel 9, and then you might meet the odd person that was an ABC person. And they were probably a bit weird <laughs> and a vegetarian. But, um, yeah, we were Channel 7 all the way. Like, we, I don't think we watched anything on Channel 9. I do now. But anyway, yeah, so 7 and Ann Sanders. Um, so all the way through high school, yep, you know, journalism, study journalism, the idea of going to CSU at Bathurst and then I went to a careers expo one day and Maclay College was advertising um, a one-year course versus a three-year course and then gung-ho Sarah says, yep, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to study for one year and go and get a job being a reporter. So um, off I went to Maclay College at 18 years of age, um, applied for a cadetship at 2SM when I finished. I was rejected by the local paper. Right. Um, Which was where, by the way? That was the Hawkesbury Independent, my okay. Hawkesbury girl out near Richmond originally. Uh, yeah, so then uh, sent my photo off with my CV, which is what um, Bill Corrales asks for with his applications. For You're the second person that said that. <laughs> I had Jodie Spears on a few weeks ago and she found it a bit weird that she was applying for a radio job that required a photo. Yeah, I think we all thought it was a bit strange, but, you know, somehow or other I got the job. I, d- I didn't even have a normal camera at the time and, of course, you know, camera phones were not around. So it was a Polaroid shot. So I took this Polaroid, stuck it with a paper clip to a piece of paper, you know, some kind of fancy paper from Officeworks to make the mm. the application look a bit better. And a few weeks later, I uh, got a phone call. Yeah, come in for a job. I thought, great. No interview, just a job. Thank yeah. you very much. And they put me on reception because they hired too many people. <laughs> I'm not surprised having spent a little bit of time there at the great 2SM building. I'm sure you would have seen the carpet and then thought, interesting joint. Mm, I, I particularly like the uh, giant cat poles, you know, the big um, poles around the building that are wrapped in carpet. But, yeah, I spent a lot of time looking at those on reception at first, waiting for my big chance in the newsroom. I used to start my shift, I come in about an hour before reception started and sit in on the newsroom with Carl Herr, um, who's now ABC court reporter, and he was nice enough to take me under his wing and show me what the newsroom was all about, and eventually I got my go in there and stayed there for a little while before the next thing. Who was the news director at that stage? It was actually John Pearson. Right. Um, and it was such a good newsroom. You know, there was Carl, like I mentioned. There was Daniel Sutton, who was the reporter. Heidi Tiltons was the evening newsreader. Hugh Fanane, uh reading Drive. It was a really great newsroom. And I think I was really lucky to work at 2SM at that time where all of those big names, I guess, were there and they're the people who I learned from. I guess that is probably one of the things that may be underrated from talking about 2SM we all kind of bag it, but it's like preschool in a way in that you can yeah. you can learn a, a, a lot there and be not too worried about perhaps the consequences because you're in a real radio station, but it doesn't feel like one at times. Yeah, you've got to start somewhere and uh, I guess it's kind of, it was kind of like regional radio, but in the city and the standards weren't 
particularly high, but that's the reason why people like me who didn't even have an interview, let alone any experience, got a job. So I'm really, I am, I am grateful for it. And I remember after I left 2SM, I actually sent Bill Corrales a Christmas card after I'd moved on, you know, saying thanks for the opportunity. I, I really appreciated it. And I still do, you know, that's uh, where a lot of people got, got their start and that's important. What did you learn from working at 2SM? Well, I learned how to write quickly. I learned, uh, I learned how to read the news, really. I mean, if I listen back to my first tape, the first time I was on air, as anyone would, you know, you have a bit of a giggle and you think, God, how, how, how is that even allowed? Uh, I think I, I learned everything, really, because you had to do it all for yourself. Then what was the next progression for you? Well, I still had the Ann Sanders thing back of my mind. Did you ever meet Ann Sanders? I've still never met her. I would love to one day. How good would that be? It would be like a dream come true. I hope you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so the TV idea in my mind, a job came up at Wynn TV in Rockhampton. So I grew up in Sydney, had never moved out of home. I was still living at home with mum and dad at this point, uh, 20 years of age. And did a, an interview over the phone with the news director up at Wynn in central Queensland. I was offered the job and I, th- I said, yeah, all right, off I go, up to Rocky. Where's that? So packed the bags, packed up my, ho- my whole barina actually, full of furniture and whatever I could fit into the back of the car. Um, Dad got in the car with me and off we went. We took two days to drive up to Rocky and <laughs> as soon as we got there, I wanted to cry. I thought, what have I done here? Um, I think my dad wanted to cry when he left me there because he just he knew how unhappy <laughs> I was going to be. And I lasted about six months before I thought, I've, I've had enough of this, it's time to go home. And being so far from home and in a country town that I'd never experienced before was one thing. But the other thing that I struggled with, and this is what kind of killed my TV dream, is that coming from that radio background where you do everything for yourself, you're self-sufficient, the bulletin's up to you, the story's up to you, the interview's up to you, I was relying on other people to do things and I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand waiting for the video editor and the cameraman and I wrote my stories without incorporating visual because I'd never had to do that before and I didn't like it. Right, writing for pictures was obviously something that yeah. nobody had really taught you. It had always sort of written how you sort of had seen them in the way that you could, I guess, express them yourself for radio. Yeah, so it was a whole different, really different thing and uh, I don't think it was for me. What did you learn from that experience or what did you take out of it? I guess the, the biggest thing is that you weren't a TV person. I think so. Um, yeah, I think that was definitely what it was. And I think one of the things about 2SM, where I said that it was like working in the country, but you were working in the city. You were still working in the city. So the other thing was that I had covered the big Sydney stories. And then here I was covering the murder of a goat. That was the lead story on the six o'clock bulletin. And I thought, mm, this is not cool. I, I want the big stories. So. Do you still have vision of your story there? Unfortunately, unfortunately, I do. That and uh, the frogs out in force when we got some rain one day. Big stories. <laughs> so you packed up the barina and came back. To yes, Sydney. all the way back. Poor dad had to fly up to Rocky, jump straight in the car, drove me home again and tail between my legs because I had no job. Do you so, still talk to him about that? 
Yeah, we do. We laugh about it. He actually sends me a text every year on the anniversary of when we got there saying, oh, that's cool. yeah, remember what we were doing this time, you know, 13 <laughs> years ago, Sarah? And I'm like, hmm, yeah, I'd rather not. No, but it's, you know, it's all part of the the journey and the experience. So a few weeks without work and uh, frantically looking and ringing and uh, trying to get a job anywhere, I met with Gil Taylor who at the time was the news director at Osterio, and he was lovely, took me in, showed me the newsroom when they were still at Bondi Junction. Unfortunately, they didn't have any work, but I think I had just been hounding him so much, he thought, I'll let this girl in and hopefully she'll leave me alone. So I said hello. He said, look, nice to meet you, no work, see you later. And so I went down to I-98 FM in Wollongong. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, which was really cool. Um, I loved the lifestyle in Wollongong. It was close enough to home that I could come home, you know, any weekend, but um, still as a young person, I formed my own life down there, making my own friends and working for the, the biggest radio station in town. You find that that has its perks going out to different places. And, yeah. yeah. And what were you doing there? Were you reading news? I was, yeah. yeah. So back in radio, back reading the news, I um, worked on the breakfast shift. So as I said earlier, you know, I've always done breakfast almost in some form. Uh, so I backed up the newsreader in breakfast and then I read the mid-morning news during the music shift, which was really cool. It was a good combination of local news and Sydney news and, you know, national news and all that sort of thing. And uh, we were kind of not affiliated, but I think we used to buy the news service from TUE, so that helped and I used to quite enjoy. This was before automation and all the fancy sort of systems that they have in place now or that they did have in place. Um, Steve Blander, one, it was one of his jobs, it must have been, to sit there at the end of each bulletin and press play to fire off every grab down the line that the network could use out of the bulletin. So yeah. I just remember thinking, how cool is this? This is Steve Blander and it's like he's having a personal chat to me, providing me with content for my <laughs> bulletin. So thanks, Steve. Who were the people that were in charge down there or who did you learn off uh, I guess because it would have been a, a different experience again from the 2SM days where there would have been like a whole lot of young people there all learning on the job, whereas Wollongong's a, a decent-sized market yeah. and there would have been some people that would have been there that would have been able to, I guess, help you with the next part of your career. Mm, it was a really um, cool mix in Wollongong and um, as you, most people would know, I-98 is owned by the Wynn Network. So our little radio newsroom was attached to the Wynn TV newsroom for Wollongong and uh, we didn't have a direct news director for radio but the newsroom next door was run by a man called Colin Duffy who was great and um, the senior journalist at I-98 was a lady called Nicole Charlton who I'm still friends with to this day. She's the sweetest person I've ever worked with and um, yeah I think she taught me the importance of contacts and localising your stories and kind of set my brain to thinking about choosing stories that really matter to people um, and being more of a local service. I guess that's what helped me decide between running your typical, some, you know, a story about John Howard, which I probably would have been my lead at 2SM compared to something happening on the roads down in Wollongong or, you know, just a local thing that's going to affect people that are living around there. Is that where you picked up 
I guess, your style. Now, I kind of, when I listened to you, when I first heard you before we even met, I always knew that you had a distinct sound and you were able to convey a story really well in the way that you express and you rarely make a mistake, whereas there's a whole lot of people out there you know, myself included, that will make mistakes. You seem to operate, and I don't want to pretend to be blowing smoke up your backside <laughs> here, but you have this relaxed sort of nature about your delivery. When did Where did that all sort of come together? Okay. Well, firstly, I make plenty of mistakes, Ralph. Thank you, but I must just be getting good at covering them up. <laughs> I, it probably did come there from I-98 because I had that very formal uh, 2SM style and then throw in a bit of wind TV, Rocky, and, you know, see what that does to the way that you read. So, yeah, I was really conscious about sort of toning it down and bringing it down but still sounding authoritative because I believed then and I believe now that news needs to maintain that tone regardless of your station because you're you're the voice of what's happening in the world. You're the voice of reason kind of, I guess. Yeah, so I, I think it was from that and from becoming friends with the announcers on the station and learning about their presentation style and how they would be able to speak normally. There is that whole thing where you kind of listen to some newsreaders and they feel like they're always in a hurry, but I don't think that you ever sort of had that. The way that you speak to people is the way that you read the news. And I think that's a pretty rare quality these days. So to have that, to automatically, I guess, pick it up in Wollongong and then take it to your next port of call, which was Austeria. Yeah. How do you how do you feel that you've sort of been able to just make that smooth transition from wherever it is that you, you've sort of ventured in your career? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly lucky and I guess timing has a bit to do with it and sometimes I feel like my time in Wollongong was cut short in a way but an opportunity came up at Osterio and um, who would say no? It was a great job and a great team that I was joining to work with. Um, so was it the fact that then if we move to that next step that You'd already met with Gil and badgered him to, to, meet, to, to meet with you. Yeah. Then all of a sudden you're front of mind when somebody leaves that radio yeah. station. Yeah, so there, there were two jobs going actually. There was like the weekend reader slash three-day on the road position and then there was just a, a drive job and it didn't specify two-day or triple M and I thought two jobs going yeah, I've got to apply. Hopefully I'll get one of them. I remember sending my application off and then I hop in the car and I turn on Triple M and there's the great Rob Duckworth and his intro in Cashmere, Led Zeppelin, and I just thought, oh, how good would it be to work there? Um, and a few days later I get a phone call and it's Gil Taylor offering me the job and his phone's dropping out because he's going through the M5 tunnel or something. He's on his way home from work. And I screamed down the phone at him and then thought he, I said, no, you're joking. This is like, this is someone making fun Mm -hmm. of me. And it took him a while to actually like assure me, no, this is real. Like you've Mm -hmm. been asking me for a job for a while, Sarah, here's your chance. Calm down. Um, Yeah. And uh, my first day on air at Triple M was the first day broadcasting out of the new building. At World Square. 
at World Square, which I didn't know. I actually didn't even know when I got the job that they were moving to World Square. I was kind of out right. of the loop. So but you didn't just turn up at Bondi Junction? Well, no, right? luckily someone told me because I was looking for a place to live and I was looking around, you know, the east and then uh, a guy at uh, Wollongong said, oh, it's going to be great, you know, the new building. And I said, new building? What's going on? <laughs> so, yeah, sure enough, I get there and um, my first bulletin on Triple M was a disaster. The panel wasn't on air the booth wasn't on air i had no idea i'm waving to the so you read the actual first bulletin for triple m in the world square i don't think it was the first one i'm pretty sure breakfast like sasha would have taken care of breakfast but my first one on my first day there um yeah stuffed it up royally sorry about that what do you learn about an experience like that? Because obviously this is your big break. Take 2SM aside, this is Sydney, this is mm. Triple M. All the friends are this listening. This is like the big break for you and then mm. all of a sudden disaster strikes. Nothing. And it was um, at the time it was a, a chat sort of style of news bulletin, the Workday News. So I was on air with Maroon and he throws to me, you know, new person in the newsroom, welcome Sarah Crab, and then you just get, and he's saying, Sarah. Bit of Charlie Chaplin work. Mm. <laughs> uh, luckily, someone at Triple M at the time came up with the um, character Barry the Monkey. So I'm pretty sure they knew that when they moved, there were going to be some technical issues. And we blamed it on Barry the Monkey tampering in the news booth. And we got off and running and everything was okay. But um, yeah, not the best start. You got the daytime. Yeah, so gig. I was doing daytime and into drive. So drive at the time was the shebang with Marty Sheargold and Fifi Box. Yep. So it was a it was such a cool job. I was so happy to be there. Um, I re- I can just remember those days. Every day I'd walk to work thinking, "How good is this? You know, I've I've made it. This is the best job in the world. I love this place." Triple M's got the rooftop, you know, Jimmy Barnes is up there belting out working class men. I'm trying to interview the Premier downstairs and I can't hear him, but don't worry about that because this is cool. (laughs) (laughs) It was um, and it is continues to be a a sort of great place to work in sort of like a a, a newsroom area, but you're also connected to that entertainment, which is Mm. Today FM and and Mm. Triple M where it's like there's always something else happening and you're in the midst of it all. Yeah, I think one of my favourite moments at Triple M was looking up from the news booth and it's like a fishbowl. Everyone can see you from any site. You know, there's nowhere to hide in that news booth. I looked up one day and there was Dave Grohl and uh, nearly choked on my words, this Dave Grohl, wow. Uh, Anyone and anyone could be there at any time and... um, I just felt very blessed to be there and working with such a cool team at the time. And I've mentioned that Gil was the, the news director there at the time. And, um, you know, he's 2GB's court reporter now and he has been for a long time. So younger people in radio might not realize that Gil actually was the mentor and the news director there for several years. And I think he taught me a great deal of, of what I know and helped me with my reading style a lot as well. So I, I can't, you know, I can't thank Gil enough and I still, I love him to bits. In an FM situation, the news is treated a whole lot differently, particularly at Today FM and, and Triple M. What did it teach you about having shorter bulletins so therefore you had a shorter amount of time to get your message across? So mm. the stories that 
may work on an AM station and not necessarily what the target market are interested in on an FM station. So it comes down to your ability to explain things in a way that your audience will appreciate rather than going to the lengths you would perhaps at an AM station. Yeah, so it comes down a lot to word economy but also relevance and I think one of the things I remember there, when it, one of the most difficult times I, I had in my shift was when um, there had been violence and uh, a bit of a, a war breaking out in Lebanon and there were some Australians there and there were diplomatic efforts to bring them home and, you know, that's the lead story that UE and GB and the ABC were running and it certainly was an important story but I found it very hard to justify making that my lead story when there was a terrible traffic jam on the M5 and thinking about who's listening to Triple M, what's more important to them, how are they going to get home or what's happening to someone they don't know on the other side of the world. Yeah, your tradies that are on their way to work or whatever are more concerned about, I guess, localised rather than international news that they're probably going to maybe take an interest in but it's not their immediate thoughts. Yeah, you reshuffle your priorities you give people the things that you you think that they really need to know slash want to know first. But I think I always did try to include the whole, you know, a whole bulletin and maybe just reshuffle the order and cut down some of the stories compared to what you would have done on, a, on a, an AM station. Our paths first crossed when Gil actually departed mm. Austereo. What was it like being in that situation where you had somebody that was, you mentioned, in a sort of mentor role to then there was nobody in charge as such and there was a whole group of people when I was employed by the national news director to come into Sydney, the biggest market in the country, and there wasn't anybody really to sort of guide people along the way. Yeah, um, well... I'm grateful that you came on board, Ralph, because you know, that was a really fun time and it was great to have you in the in the mix. Um, but I did struggle during that time. Um, I had looked up to Gil for the two and a bit years that I had been there working under him. Uh, I think the good thing was that that was a really strong team at the time. Uh, Matt McDonald was there, Sasha Higlett, now Tannock, who is still there, Jeff Field. So... A lot of people, although not having any, you know, direct direction really from a local boss, uh, people had been doing their jobs long enough that they knew what to do and how to do it and when to do it. Um, but I did eventually move on from Osterio and, and Triple M and part of the reason why probably was because without that local boss, I, I felt as though I'd stalled and there was nowhere else that I could go. I couldn't develop my career any further. Well, because at that stage, Sasha was doing breakfast, but not long after that, she wanted a break from that after doing it for many years, which you kind of can understand. Mm. And then you were thrust into Triple M breakfast, but it wasn't long after that before you got sick. That was a difficult time for you, given the fact that these breakfast hours, as you already sort of outlined, are quite 
demanding. How, did, how, how was it from your health point of view that you were able to sort of adjust it and get back on an even keel? Well, I had almost completely forgotten about that, Ralph. But yeah, I, I um, moved on to breakfast. I found myself with laryngitis on the first day I was supposed to be on air, no voice. Still want, tried to soldier on because this was my first day on breakfast. You know, I had just claimed this shift Didn't as my own. Didn't have much luck when you were doing first. <laughs> no, no good with firsts at Triple M. Um, a few weeks later, I was feeling incredibly tired and it's hard to know when you're working breakfast, are you just tired because you've had no sleep? Is there something else going on? Um, I did end up finding out that I had glandular fever and I'd had it for some time. So then I had to take time off work and I was away from that shift that I was so proud to have made mine um, and disappointed that I couldn't be there. I can't even remember how long I was away, but it was quite a while. It might have been six or, or, yeah. eight, or eight weeks or so. Um, grateful to Osterio and um, everyone there who allowed me to have that break and then also to come back and, and ease myself back into it. So I think I was doing kind of like a, a half shift or two-thirds of a shift or something and I had a lot of support when I came back to reading. And I, I think I used to come back and then read until 9 o'clock and go home, and I was still exhausted every day. It took me a long time to get over that. I think the way that they sort of eased you back in was that perhaps you were even editing for for Jeff at one stage there. What's it like going from being the predominant newsreader to then having to write for somebody else on a different station? During various stages of my career, I've been quite happy just to sit back and write for somebody else, but it takes some time to kind of figure out how simple to make it or how complicated to make it and try and write for their voice, if that makes any sense. Yeah, well, this was the first time that I'd ever um, been tasked with writing for someone else. And I'm glad it was Jeff because we've always had a great relationship. I consider him a friend and I was excited about teaming up with him to to um, help him get his news to air. But it's it certainly was a different kettle of fish, I guess. And one thing I remember out of that, and uh, this is where I made a bit of a mistake, is that um, we were on the shift when news came through that Heath Ledger had died. And I assumed with Jeff, because he was on air with Kyle and Jackie O at the time and lots of producers, that he would have known immediately what had gone on. And it didn't occur to me straight away to run to Jeff with the breaking news. I was sort of working on crafting a story to get it into his next bulletin when really he needed to know immediately. And I think that was the an example of our wires not really crossing or were they crossing? I'm using the wrong metaphor here, but you know what I mean? That yeah. was the first sort of challenge where if I was writing that for myself, and I'm on the shift. Wow, this you is just barge straight news. in with, Heath with the news. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, so that was a, a silly mistake, and I don't think I've let it happen again when I've been writing for anyone else. How did it work that you you were looking for the next challenge um, yeah. to get to, to UE? I mean, the, as we sort of said, the the Osterio um, situation was that since Gillard left, there was no direction. So you wanted to sort of further your career in an environment that perhaps uh, lent itself to um, a progression as such. Absolutely, yeah, and um, we're better than than 2UE. So I, I think there was a job that was advertised at the time maybe and, yeah, there was. 
but I didn't get it. <laughs> um, but I went in and met with Clinton Maynard, who was the news director there at the time, saw the newsroom, thought, this place looks pretty cool. I'm, I'm going to get a job here and took a little bit of negotiating because, um, coming off working Monday to Friday, I wasn't that keen to going back on to working weekends all the time, but I did want to work in an environment where I'd have the opportunity to do reporting and reading and, you know, everything that's thrown at you as it is at TUE. So, we did get there in the end. We, um, Clinton made me an offer that seemed suitable and, um, I gave my eight weeks notice, which felt like forever and then jumped ship and off I was at 2UE reading the evening bulletins, which was pretty cool. You don't have evening bulletins on FM stations. They <laughs> shut the news down at yeah. six or seven o'clock. So that again, that must have been a, uh, I guess a strange transition from the fact that, okay, now I'm responsible for producing this evening news bulletin, but I also have to set breakfast up for the next day. Yeah. And in a way that kind of felt like a demotion because I hadn't set breakfast up for the next day since I worked at 2SM. And I thought, gee, I've just come as a breakfast newsreader on a pretty well rating station to 2UE where I'm in the pool. I'm not really anyone yet. And I was really keen to make my name as quickly as I could. And I think the day before I started there, um, I learned that the state political position was about to become vacant because one person moves and the dominoes all line up and there's a, you know, a reshuffle in the newsroom. So I, um, pitched to Clinton, I think on my first day, you know, <laughs> Hi, I know I've just started, but I'd like a promotion already. Um, <clears throat> put me in state parliament. And he didn't know me from a bar of soap and he didn't. He kept me on nights with the promise of filling in for Steve Blander, which was a pretty decent compromise. Um, and so I ended up doing breakfast occasionally um, when I wasn't reading nights. And um, yeah, never got the state parliament job ever at 2UE. I did get the police round eventually, which was grueling and rewarding in equal parts. Tell me about the difference from going from FM to AM. I'd sort of done it in reverse. I went from AM to FM and it is a different world, isn't it? I guess the requirements uh, or the expectation is a whole lot higher when you're working for an AM station than it is an FM station. But Oddly enough, the pay scales don't match up that way. No, unfortunately. So there was a, a lifestyle adjustment required, let's put it that way. Um, but gra- gratefully, I did still have that 2SM background to fall back on. So I was a machine when it came to chasing, you know, I knew all the dialer grabs. Yep, let's get this guy, that guy, this guy. Whoa, you know, we're filling up the prep file really well here. There's lots of stories. So I knew how to do all of that. I guess... The biggest challenge was unlearning some of the things that I had to learn for FM. So I was going like the back to – Yeah, I, I did have to start to sound a little bit more formal and to make my stories longer again and probably lean more towards what's happening in Canberra and a lot of focus on political and crime and less lighter or lifestyle or entertainment or any of that. And I think that has – that that from 2UE has stuck with me now and I think it always will. I'm not really that keen on light, fluffy entertainment Showbiz stories. Crap. Mm. You spoke about the police reporter's role a, a, a couple of times there. I chatted with Jodie Spears a few weeks ago, as I mentioned. She 
did that. I know a number of other people that have done the police reporter's role over the years. It's all-consuming, isn't it? Yeah, it it really is. And um, I took over from Jodie Spears, actually. She was the police reporter and then it was me, so very big shoes to fill from the very beginning. You're on call 24-7 and and you do get phone calls 24-7 from the newsroom. You've got to be switched on mentally at all times. You're staying across the news at all times. You've got to get out there and make your own contacts and you want the, the, the key police to remember you and you need to build up good enough relationships that when things happen, they'll be willing to give you a little bit more than they might give to the competitor. So you've got the edge and you can break the stories. What was that like for you making that adjustment? Again, it's, I guess it's a case of switching gears mm. from being a newsreader to being a reporter. How did you find that transition? I was very happy to do it and and that was part of the reason for my move to 2UE to get around and and make try to make a name for myself as a reporter. I think within the first month of getting on the police round and, and taking that job, I think I was called out once or maybe even twice each week for that whole month in the middle of the night. So, you know, you get up at midnight, drive to Bankstown or Sefton or wherever you're going, work through the night, then come into the office and work your whole day shift as well. And the TUE police round at that point in time as well was combined with courts. So it was a really tough juggle and a hard slog, but that's how you hone your craft and earn your stripes. What did you learn from that experience having to do those dual roles? And stretch yourself, and me, um, you know, incredibly. Yeah, thin. I think I, I definitely learnt the importance of time management, and again, contacts, 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 contacts. You know, even other, you know, people in the industry as well as contacts who you would call about a story. And uh, uh, there was a case one day, you know, and I was trying to cover maybe two or three court stories at one time, thinking, how am I going to do this? And, and you know. I'm not the first one and I won't be the last. Lots of court reporters do that every day, but I recognised a police officer in the court who was there to find out the outcome and I thought, I know him. We've spoken on quite a few occasions. I'm going to ask him whether maybe he could let me know when something's happening here so I can go and juggle this one and he was very happy to oblige and that worked out really well and I I guess it just highlighted the importance to me of knowing the right people and treating them well as well. So you can get the stories and um, do your job as well as you can. What did you learn about the competitive nature of the AM world compared to the FM world? Okay, you're sitting in there at Triple M Today FM. You're not really monitoring Nova for the the breaking stories. (laughs) He's got the story first. Or that kind of competitive nature of 2GB, 2UE rivalry. Yeah, it was great. How was that? I I loved it. Um, It it could be challenging at times because you'd, spend so much time with the 2GB reporter at Stories and it was Jess Pelliccioni for me. She was the police reporter at GB when I was at UE. You develop a friendship and you support one another through nights of no sleep while you're at a story, but then they're your rival as well. So you've got to know where to draw the line and it can be tough when you know that you're working on something and you're trying to get it ahead of them or, you know, vice versa. I'm sure she did it to me. Hopefully I managed to do it to her a few times as well and it all works out in the end. What was it also like being part of a 
what it was back then before the two stations merged recently, to have the support of a an Australia-wide network as opposed to TGB, which didn't really have any kind of network whatsoever? Well, I think from an editing editing the bulletin perspective, it was helpful. It didn't do much for me on the police round other than no. me having to do crosses to every capital city in the country instead of just Sydney. Um, yeah. But it was nice to be asked and nice to have a presence. I, you know, I used to love doing crosses with Hinch on 3AW. I just thought that was you know, the best ever. Hinge wants to talk to me. Yeah, right. I'll, I'll talk to him. Thanks. <laughs> Give him my number. <laughs> that would have been certainly an, an experience. Now, did you get, I guess, itchy feet? Was there a, a lack of progression there again at 2UE that forced your move to WS or was it the fact that you could go back and read breakfast in a, a show with Jonesy and Amanda that was obviously well-established uh, stepping into the the shoes that were vacated by Glenn Daniel. Yeah, um, I don't I don't think it was my career was stalling at all at TUE. I was really happy there, and it was a it was a really tough decision to make. And if you ever speak to Clinton about this, he'll tell you that I went through a whole box of tissues in his office, crying my eyes out when I resigned because once again I just thought it had been the best job ever. Um, but I did enjoy reading breakfast news and as far as I could see, Steve Blander was never going to go anywhere and nor should he, you know, no. he's been the best in the business for a very long time. Um, I went to 2UE wanting a round. I got it. I went to 2UE wanting to read a primetime shift. I got it. I ended up reading Drive. So, you know, I, I, I didn't own breakfast there, but Drive's pretty good as well. Um, I learned from the best in Clinton, Derek Peterson, um, Steve Blander. They've uh, all passed on so many wonderful things that will stay with me forever. So I, I did feel that I had learned a lot and maybe it was time to have a look around. And, yeah, as you say, Glenn decided to move on from ARN. So I, I made contact and that ended up being the next move for me. Before we talk about your current role, working with somebody like Steve Blander, is a legend of the industry. How much do you learn from, I guess, just listening or just being in the same room as somebody like that? So much. And uh, my first experience meeting him at TUE was actually when I, I came in early one day to bring in cupcakes because there was a, you know, RSPCA bake-off or something right. like that. But I had been working on nights, so I was writing stories to leave out for Steve Blander and hearing him read them the next morning and thinking – did I do all right? Does, it, does he like my writing? I don't know. Um, it took a while until I met him because then um, when I was on breakfast, it was because he was on holidays. So right. I must have worked for quite a long time at TUE without getting to know him very well at all. It wasn't until I was on the police round when um, I'd be in the office sometimes if there wasn't a crime scene to be at um, when we would sit next to each other in the office and we both lived around the corner from each other so we ended up usually doing a car convoy in the mornings and he'd hold the, right. lift, hold the lift for me you know always the gentleman um but just simple turns of fra turns of phrase and and word economy and you know sarah uh, you could simplify it this way or take out this word steve blander taught me to cut out the word allegedly from a story and that's probably one of the greatest things I've ever been taught. It has no value and you can write around it. 
every time I hear someone say allegedly, I just think, oh, I hope Steve's not listening. I have a similar word that Glenn Daniel taught me to leave out, and it's the word that. You don't need it. If you read a sentence mm-hmm. that contains the word that, mm-hmm. if you can remove it in 98% of the, the cases, you don't it need it. It doesn't need to be there. So it's an interesting word that I listen to or I get to see when copies let out for me that I don't <laughs> use the word that. <laughs> but once that's in your mind, it'll never go away and it always stands out. It's one of those things you then look for that you're taught that you can pass on to some somebody else. Yeah. We move now to WSFM. You mentioned there that you got that opportunity to follow somebody like Glenn Daniel. What was that like knowing that he was and still is a legend of the radio industry mm. again? Yeah, well, um, people were keen to let me know it when I started at ARN, um, you know, Glenn used to do it this way, Glenn used to do that, Glenn used to do this, and I thought, you know, great, Glenn is an excellent, well-respected, much-loved, as you say, legend in the industry, and I was grateful that I was chosen to be the successor. But after a few weeks, I started thinking, yep, that's what Glenn did. Let's look at what Sarah does, you know, grateful for Glenn's legacy at ARN, but just give me a little time, just let me weave my way in, make it my own, um, which I did eventually, but um, testament to to Glenn and what he meant to people there at ARN. I think still sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll get into the office and, and I'll hear someone else in the building say, oh, Glenn used to start earlier than that. And I think, oh. <laughs> what do I have to do to put my own Come mark on, on this job? Um, what would you say that would be something that would be your style? What would it be that you feel your strengths are in that breakfast shift? I would say, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth here, that you would be somebody that has a real definitive idea in what makes a good story. You have that ability to, as you said, just cut out all the nonsense and put it together. Would it be your organisational skills? It was something that Glenn certainly had. Would you say that that's something that you also possess? Yeah, I think so. I have a system and a formula for me on breakfast and it's the same every morning. You know, it's do this list. This is the list of the stories I want to follow. Come in, listen to the BBC, roll back on the 7.30 report, hear what's been breaking news while I was asleep, write a list of stories to follow. Okay, these are my big stories. Here's four versions of this, three versions of this, two versions of this, and I'm just pumping them out for two hours before I go on air because that's the way that my mind needs to prepare. How important is it to have a process like that to go through every day? Sometimes, and, you know, Glenn was very much the same. Uh, There's been a few other people that I've worked with. You're working as part of a team, but you're also working independently because that's the way your mind works and how to get the best out of the time that you have Mm. to deliver your bulletin. So while other people contribute, sometimes the very best are independent of others. Yeah, I think you're right. And it's a little bit tricky now at ARN because our stations are so different in their styles. You know, you've got WS with the uh, more traditional style of news, but still in that FM vein. Then you've got KISS with the more, more conversational and relaxed. And then you've got The Edge, which is more relaxed and conversational still. So there's not a great deal of crossover between each editor in Breakfast. You are a silo working among 
other silos who are your friends and can contribute to the conversation and flag a story if you're not aware of it. But at breakfast time, at least until six o'clock in the morning, it does all come down to me. Every little piece of information that is pumped into that bulletin has to be something that I've spotted and it's a great responsibility. And without using that system that I outlined, it kind of falls apart at the seams. So I, I know that that is the way that I need to do things each and every day or I'm, I'm going to miss something. Knowing that you've written the copy and you're reading it, I guess one of the big questions for newsreaders or one of the challenges for newsreaders is picking up a piece of copy that somebody else has written. How important is that for you, for that copy to be bang on because you don't want to fluff it? Yeah, it's incredibly important. And um, in other roles at 2UE, under, under the pump and very stressed, I've torn shreds off people for not writing good enough copy and then me going in and reading it and looking pretty silly. And by not having the chance to to check, it's unfortunate and those mistakes can go to where. But, yeah, you absolutely do rely on the copy being perfect each and every time because it has to be we're, we're on half-hourly deadlines and we don't have time to stuff around and do rewrites. Do you feel as though the shift every morning goes incredibly quickly? I can speak from my own experience in that having to write for two people in two different states with half-hour hourly bulletins, I thought from the time that you get in where you're doing a whole lot of the preparation and lead-up time to the time that you get to 9 o'clock where the half-hourly bulletins stop, mm. it can seem like five minutes. Oh, yeah. There's one speed and it's flat out. If I don't have my breakfast before the first bulletin at 5, I won't eat until 9. I'll be reading the bulletin thinking, gee, I'd love a toilet break. I'll do it after this. That doesn't happen. Nothing, you know, it, it, I'll do it after the next half hour. I'll have a drink of water next half hour. No time. Absolutely no time. It is full on busy, busy, but you wouldn't have it any other way. How do you find working alongside somebody like Jim Dolan, who is across the sport of a morning, to have somebody there that has this great knowledge and passion for radio? Tell me about working with Jim. Love Jim, first off. Um, Love everything about working with Jim and love the fact that he is there contributing to the bulletin and sport is something that I do enjoy. I love writing about sport and um, you know, reading it at times, but I'm so grateful that I've got someone sitting next to me every morning who knows a thousand times more things about sport than I do and he's there with his expert knowledge every day putting that to air and we are losing that in newsrooms, that experienced uh, sports person who's been there, covered everything. I love Jim's stories. You know, he'll tell us about how cool it was covering the Olympics in 2000 and all the various bits and pieces he's done along the way. He's an incredibly valuable member of the team and just a fun person to have around, although he does still enforce fun food Friday and sometimes when I'm on a diet, I wish he wouldn't. Fun food Friday, how good is it? <laughs> I believe we're going to be doing Easter show food Friday oh, soon, looking up a recipe for Dagwood dogs. Oh, excellent. <laughs> I might, might just make a cameo just for that Friday. But, um, you know, a lot of time sport can be the lead story in news and something will happen. Um, Maria Sharapova the other week and Jim says, Sarah, this has happened, you know, Maria Sharapova, positive drugs test. I'm like, right take a second to process it. Jim, I'm going to lead with that. Sorry. I know that's a big story for you, but I'm claiming it. And 
yep, whatever you need. And he writes the story, cuts the grab. It's um, amazing to have that. And I think that helps maintain that standard of, of the, the fully comprehensive news service you get on WSFM. What's it like being part of a breakfast show where they value your input in terms of doing crosses pretty much yeah. every 15 minutes? So you're, I guess, the funnel outside of the show to the outside world mm. and Jonesy and Amanda, while some FM stations might be uh, fairly flippant or ignorant when it comes to what's happening in the news, seem to take a great interest in the service that you're providing. Yeah, they're, they're informed, sensible adults. They want to know what's happening in the world they live in and they want news to be a, a part of their show. They've made that clear from day one and that's the format that works for them. Um, yeah, so I'm in with them regularly talking about the breaking stories or the, the quirky stories. I do find it challenging sometimes, you know, on a day that – the news is full of crime or, or things that are a bit grisly. I, I do sort of try to find alternatives to put up as stories to talk about with them because being the more lighthearted personalities that they are, although, you know, the mind is always ticking over and they know what's going on, it's not a great deal you can do with, you know, three murders in Blacktown. Okay, thanks, Sarah. You know, um, <laughs> it never ceases to amaze me the paths that they will take stories down. Um, there was a story a few weeks ago about the man who took the chainsaw to the telegraph pole because he had a dispute about his power bill. And somehow that turned into talking about someone with designer handbags who had them, uh, had, had to get a babysitter for them. And, it's taken me a while to learn how to go with that and achieve that fine balance of having fun with them but remembering that I'm the newsreader. And I find that's equally as challenging with our reaction line segment that we do as well and we'll put up an issue and the, the job of me as the news person is to explain both sides and they'll give their opinions. Sometimes I will be asked for my opinion as well and I do try to be as careful as I can because I want to maintain that impartial news person voice not get on board with one or the other whatever it is you know unless it's a you know a silly thing when you're working in radio and more particularly news there's not a great deal of reward that comes your way for the job that you do how satisfying was it for you a few years ago when you're working for 2UE to be acknowledged as the winner of the Brian White Award? It was pretty special. Um, I do maintain that I'm uh, I'm lucky that some other people who probably could have entered that year when I won didn't enter. Maybe I would have had some more stiff competition and might not have even won it. But, you know, my entry was there. And I did win it and um, I was incredibly proud um, sitting there at the table with all the, the big wigs from 2UE and um, Steve Blander won his annual ACRA as the uh, the best newsreader, as he should, <laughs> but being able to stand there with him as a colleague and 2UE taking home those two really important awards for the newsroom was a really, really proud moment and I'm so glad that I was able to achieve that and I guess you don't go into um, reporting with a goal to win an award, but I certainly wanted to be a reporter and do a good job of it and hopefully that's an indication that I did an all right job. You talked earlier about how you feel as though one of your strengths is managing your time. Has that been placed more important 
currently now that you're a mum and trying to (laughs) juggle that work-life balance because let's face it, being a parent, you have these grandiose ideas of how you will roll with the punches and how you will Mm. manage certain situations. You can pretty much throw that out the window. So (laughs) how do you juggle that? early morning start with the, I guess he's getting on towards being a, a, toddler, a toddler now. Yeah. Um, what's that like from your perspective? Well, I think with the time management thing, I think that has probably helped me a little bit being a mum and also, you know, being used to waking up at all hours in the middle of the night. Well, that was fine. You know, in the early days he'd cry and I'm up, I'm straight up. It's mm. fine. It doesn't matter. It doesn't bother me. So, um, you know, being the police reporter on call and getting up at all sorts of hours for radio work really prepared me quite well, I think, for motherhood in that respect. But yeah, being back at work now, the time management is important, um, just as important at home as it is at work. Uh, I feel like every day is almost like a race against the clock to prepare for the next day. You know, in the evening, the breakfast has to get made, the clothes have to be taken out. It's all that prep, prep, prep to get through the next morning and then that's over again in a flash and we'll go and and start to do it again. But I'm so grateful that I can work in a job that I love, doing breakfast hours that enable me to be able to be home for the majority of the day with my son and we can muck around and play and go to Jimbaroo and swimming lessons and the stuff that we love. So that's pretty cool that I, I feel like I get the best of both worlds and no sleep, but that'll come later. How do you do it from a professional sense? Because there's obviously going to be days where you're going to be more tired or more stressed out than others because children pick up colds and different Mm. things. And Mm. some days they're going through uh, developmental leaps and different things. So how do you maintain the same sound? Because people out there in listener land, they really couldn't give a rats about the night that you've had the night before. But from a professional level, you've still got to deliver that same balanced news bulletin yeah. as you did the day before, which may have been easier. Yeah. Um, no, it, it can be tough. Yesterday I woke at about one because that's what time Patrick decided to wake up and by the time I sorted him out and got him off back to sleep. There was no point going back to bed. So off I went to work on even less sleep than normal. I think what works for me is um, just being in my shell a little bit more when I'm off air because I don't have the energy to talk to anyone and just saving it up for when the bulletin goes to air. So I'm probably a bit of a grumpy mole behind the scenes, but the microphone goes on and then a few cups of coffee, we get into it. We'll wrap it up in a sec, but I just now want to get some advice from you to anyone who may be listening to this that wants to break into radio. You did Maclay College and then immediately sought out work. What path would you suggest would be the best way for somebody that thinks that they can be a newsreader or a journalist on radio? Well, look, Maclay College is the path that worked for me, but I think, you know, it's probably equal in tertiary value or, you know, it it will hold you in good stead as a piece of paper, um, as a qualification, just as well as, you know, something from CSU or 
UTS or whoever else teaches journalism will, it just ticks that box. So when you, you, you're required to have a qualification, you've got one. I think, um, and a lot of people might agree with me. I hope they do that a lot of journalism doesn't come from university or college. It comes from learning on the job. And there's a lot of value in cadetships, which are almost non-existent in radio these days. But I feel as though that's kind of what I did at 2SM. It was a cadetship, certainly paid like a cadetship. Mm. Um, Despite the reception element <laughs> to it, that's not necessarily going to be the uh, path that everybody Yeah, takes. you know, you might not want to get on reception. But you know what? If that's your way in, that's your way in. I'm sure I'm not the only one who did it. And I, I think you just need to be willing to work hard and long days, long nights even. They might not always be days. Um, you just have to really love what you're going to be doing because you will sacrifice a lot of other things for it. Um, especially when you're younger, you will say goodbye to your weekends. You will say goodbye to your evenings. You just have to be prepared to work hard, probably not get paid a great deal for it in the beginning, but just keep at it. Keep at it and surround yourself in the news as well because there's nothing more frustrating than sitting down with someone who tells you that they want to work in news and they don't know what the story of the day is. So read the paper, listen to the radio, know what's going on. Sarah Forster, thanks very much for your time. Thank you, Ralph. There she is, Sarah Forster from WSFM. If you really enjoyed my chat today with Sarah, please let her know by sending her a tweet at Mrs. Sarah Forster. You can also follow us on Twitter, which is at MediaMatesAU. Check out the Facebook page. Most importantly, if you could subscribe in iTunes, that'd be great. It means you won't miss an episode. While you're there, please leave a rating or review. That way more people will learn about the show. Until next time, I'm Ralph Tucker, and this has been the Media Mates Podcast. Media Mates Podcast.